Sit, Jessica. Look how the floor of heaven is thick and laid with patines of bright gold. There's not the smallest orb which thou beholdest, but in his motion, like an angel sings, still choiring to the young-eyed cherubins, such harmony is in immortal souls. But whilst this muddy vesture of decay doth grossly close it in, we cannot hear it. That was uh, William Shakespeare making a reference to the music of the spheres in Merchant of Venice. I just uh, read this part um, from uh, Wikipedia. The Musica Universalis, literally universal music, also called music of the spheres or harmony of the spheres, is a philosophical concept that regards proportions in the movements of celestial bodies, the sun, moon, and planets, as a form of music. The theory originating in ancient Greece, I would uh, also say probably also in India, was a tenet of Pythagoreanism and was later developed by 16th century astronomer Johann Kepler. Kepler did not believe this music to be audible, but felt that it could nevertheless be heard by the soul. I'm saying it's all infrasound, it's all vibrations, and we cannot see these vibrations, but we are definitely inside these vibrations. And and if a volcano is the tree of life, let's say, literally the tree of life, on that tree of life grows little mini tree of life, tree of knowledge of good and evil, which are mushrooms. <laughs> mini volcanoes. Mini phallic shaped dicks. <laughs> Why? so that it can wring your consci consciousness from your lowest chakra, meaning your animal, you know, downstairs full animal instinct to your crown chakra, the, the game of, you know, how hard can you hit the, the whatever weight to send the thing up to hit the bell or however hard you can hit, punch the punching bag is the same thing. And the orgasm is, is, um, is the liftoff, let's say, into, of your consciousness into wherever. Using your body, using sound, using all the stuff to basically blast yourself into the dream world. Where the fuck do you go when you go to sleep, man? So which world is is real? That world or this physical world? You know, that's all it is. And music of the spheres is like, literally, sound is consciousness. If you look at the way sound vibration works, you can you can. The way to watch that is to observe water, because water literally is showing physically showing through matter how vibrations behave okay the concept of the music of the spheres incorporates the metaphysical principle that mathematical relationships express qualities or tones of energy exactly tones it's all <coughs> it's all rainbow like it's all just different tones if you look at music it's different tones scale key note that's all it is and that just expresses itself differently it sounds different it smells different it it's a different color it's a different temperature that's all it is it's just music up and down um 
which manifests in numbers, visual angles, shapes, and sounds, all connected within a pattern of proportion. Yeah, your fucking head is is the the e subject. Your head is the subject, and the object is um, what you're looking at. Pythagoras first identified that the pitch of a musical note is in inverse proportion to the length of the string that produces it. Fucking mind-blowing. And that intervals between harmonious sound frequencies form simple numerical ratios. Pythagoras proposed that the sun, moon, and planets all emit their own unique hum based on their orbital revolution. Look at this shit. I was saying, I was saying all the planets are fucking humming. Pythagoras said the same thing. And that the quality of life on Earth reflects the tenor of celestial sounds which are physically imperceptible to the human ear. Subsequently, Plato described astronomy and music as twinned studies of sensual recognition. Astronomy for the eyes, music for the ears, and both requiring knowledge of numerical proportions. Aristotle Aristotle characterized the theory as follows. Some thinkers suppose that the motion of bodies of that size must produce a noise, since on our earth the motion of bodies far inferior in size and in speed of movement has that effect. But then they say, well, now we know that space is a vacuum. There's apparently no sound up there. Also, when the sun and the moon, they say, and all the stars, so great in number and in size, are moving with so rapid a motion, how should they not produce a sound immensely great? Starting from this argument and from the observation that their speeds as <coughs> as measured by their distances are in the same ratios as musical concordances, they assert that the sound given forth by the circular movement of the stars is a harmony. I mean, if you look at one of those uh, astrophotography, nighttime astrophotography time lapses, you can see how it, it, it moves in a circular motion and it can feel like you can feel like you know, you remember those um old school pianos that would play by themselves based on the the where the thing would turn and the needles would fall on those and it's is the whole that's what it feels like like this whole system is is is, is a giant clock basically and we are <laughs> we are the let's say witness of all this trying to figure out this universe inside our small heads <laughs> Alright, since, however, it appears unaccountable that we should not hear this music, they explain this by saying that the sound is in our ears from the very moment of birth and is thus indistinguishable from its contrary silence, since sound and silence are discriminated by mutual contrast. What happens to men, then, is just what happens to coppersmiths who are so accustomed to the noise of the smithy that it makes no difference to them. Yeah, I agree with that. But also, I think it's like sound doesn't have to be audible. It, it, if you if you just look at it as vibration, think of it like when an ant is crawling up on a wall. How the fuck is it doing that? If gravity says everything, you know, should be pulled down how is this ant or insect or whatever um defying that i think it's because uh it's all vibrations electromagnetic vibration these motherfuckers are probably creating their own 
um, their own vortex around them. I mean, that's how bees fly. Apparently, they're too heavy. Like, physically, they're too heavy to fly. Their wings are physically not capable of making them fly. Those wings are not capable of uh, lifting that weight. But because the way they flap their wings, it creates a certain frequency. And in, in that frequency, it creates a vortex around them, which basically lets them create their own anti-gravity bubble and they're doing all this through just they say there's no difference with the wings and their brain connected to their brain they say they just think it they like flying is like second nature <sighs> okay Moving on. November 19th, there's a big ass, long ass solar eclipse coming, blood moon eclipse coming. Um, let me just read this part from Britannica Eclipse. When the moon moves through the shadow of Earth, it dims considerably but remains faintly visible because the shadow of earth is directed away from the sun a lunar eclipse can occur only at the time of the full moon that is when the moon is on the side of earth opposite to that of the sun a lunar eclipse appears much the same at all points of earth from which it can be seen hold up hold up hold up there was something else that was i wanted to Oh yeah. Where was it this one? Hold up. Well I think it was about uh it's about Korea. Korean history is actually um goes back pretty far, but anyways, um, I'll, I might do that in another video. Okay, um, well, the eclipse part, I just wanted to say I'm not gonna read all this because it's just the eclipse part is interesting because um, if you if you if you think of all these eclipses and all these uh, solar, all these uh, heavenly signs as um, if you just put all this, all these, let's say, all these signs in a year on a musical scale chart as notes and see what that sounds like. It's called a sonification, turning data into music. Like, like if you took uh, all the earthquake readings from a day and put them out and sonify them and see what that sounds like maybe it would be interesting um you know what I'm just gonna read this article that I've been wanting to this sounds pretty interesting this is mapping the esoteric body in the Islamic yoga of Bengal this is from history of religions <laughs> The author's name literally is Shaman Hatley, University of Chicago Press. Okay. Introduction. Islam's rapid rise within indigenous communities in the eastern and northern regions of pre-modern modern Bengal engendered extraordinary cultural, cultural and religious change from around the early Mughal, and Mughal period. Now we all know what Mughal means, it means Mongol. Among the significant markers available to us of this change is a large and little studied corpus of Islamic literature in Bengali. 
you know maybe this is why there's that big uh chinese uh community in calcutta maybe they were all the way from this time of the mongols the mughal period is the mongol period okay Spanning from sacred biography to Sufi romances and practice manuals, this literature testifies to the articulation of a regional Islam among newly Islamized commun communities. As many as 20 of the extant texts, only about half of which have been published and none of which appear likely to predate the 16th century, concern matters of Sufi doctrine and, pa and practice. One of the most consistent concerns of this genre is the explication of Islamized forms of tantric yoga, the practices of which appear integral to Sufism as it was developed in Bengal. Wait, what? Sufism was developed in Bengal? Although the sources for this yoga are clearly indigenous, primarily the Natha cult, and at a later stage, Sahajya Vaisnavism, Muslim authors encode their disciplines within Islamic doctrinal categories and articulate them as integral elements of a Sufi praxis regimen. Generalizations about the supposedly syncretic nature of Bengali religious culture and the quest to understand how and why Islamization took place have not infrequently dominated the study of Islam in pre-modern Bengal. Scholarship has tended to elide its diversity and particular Isla Islamicate religious forms such as Sufi yoga, have hence received relatively little detailed attention. With this gap in mind, the present essay focuses upon a process that was central to the articulation of Islamic yoga. Islamic yoga? I have never... Did you... I never knew Islam had yoga. The translation into Islamic categories of the yogic or esoteric body, that which Sanskrit sources commonly refer to as the... Suksma, subtle, subtle body, or Purya Staka. In the second part of the essay, I explore issues that arise in framing inquiry into this material. Tantric practices became prevalent across an extraordinary spectrum of sectarian boundaries in South Asia and beyond, flourishing with Saivism, Buddhism, and Vaisnavism and finding a place in both Jainism and the Brahmanical Smarta traditions as well. Hmm. If one leaves aside monolithic Orientalist characterizations, it would seem evident that in South Asia, Islam constituted no less likely a ground for the assimilation of Tantric Yoga. In important ways, a suitable foundation was already in place. Sufi traditions, after all, embraced elaborate spiritual disciplines that, like those of Tantric Yoga, required esoteric initiation and presupposed a mystical physiology as the locus for meditations involving syllab syllabic formulas, visual visualization, and controlled respiration. Isla Islamic adaptations of indigenous yogic disciplines are indeed by no means unique to Bengal. Sufi silsilas and ismailis in South Asia attest multiple examples of experimentation and as Karl Ernst shows, Arabic and Persian translations of the lost Sanskrit, Sanskrit um, Amr, Amrta Kunda circulated in Sufi circles as far afield as Istanbul. In the presence of the enormous variety of thicker techniques available in late medieval Islam, it was apparently not uncommon for Sufis to obtain multiple initiations into the practices 
of several Sufi orders, though the primary orientation would remain in a single order. The variable and extendable nature of the elements of Sufi meditational practice, the potential for the individual sheikh to innovate, and the probable Islamization of yogi communities in Bengal, discussed subsequently, suggest historical circumstances in which the development of Islamic forms of tantric yoga should be of little surprise. When the fuck was this? Is published 2007. What? Islamizing the yogic body. Tantric conceptions of the body consistently place the human organism into a relation of structural homology to the macrocosm. You know what I think? I think the whole foundation, the whole history of monotheism will get you the whole history of mankind. I think the I think before monotheism, before all this shit, Lawrence of Arabia and monotheism and all this shit happened, I think these this I think these are all the same type of um indigenous earth nature worshippers basically all of them even even now they they say the uh with what um the pilgrimages are the the pilgrimages that people still do it's it, it's 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 all nature worship man it's it's what They've been doing for thousands of years what our ancestors have been doing for thousands of years, man. Like, somebody fucked with all this shit that was already taking place and relabeled it as whatever monotheism, but it's all the same shit. They've all been just doing the same shit. They just, this one group took all the shit, repackaged it, and then boom, this is what it is now. And then basically made it more like just the masculine version. Because these fuckers, they're too afraid of the feminine side of life. (laughs) Tantric conceptions of the body consistently place the human organism into a relation of structural homology to the macrocosm. Yes, Man is the measure of the universe. When I say man, I'm saying mankind, all men and women. This map, this mapping of biocosmological equivalence extends from celestial realms and hell worlds, and the rivers, mountains, and pilgrimage centers of sacred geography. This is what I'm saying. It's all fucking. <laughs> Sacred geography, sacred geometry. It's 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 about going to pilgrimages of sacred energy. We are ants. We fucking worship nature. We fucking worship stones, literally. Energy points. What do we do? We go to these places and then we walk in circles around these energy points. Come on, man. We're fucking ants. To the social world rendering mastery of the external universe possible through yogic technique alone. Similar conceptions are not alien to classical Sufi mysticism. In the thought of Ibn Arabi, for example, all that exists in the human being has an analog in the macrocosm, the great human being. Perhaps facilitated by Islamic precedents, Bengal Sufism adapted to itself the basic template of the yogic body as formulated by the Natha cult and reconfigured it within the parameters of Indo-Islamic thought. This is crazy, man. If you think about it, this is basically a mixture of Mongolian shamanism from the Mughals. The Mughals are the Mongols, okay? That... um integrating itself into Islam and then is is and then in Bengal they had Sufism. I didn't know Sufism came from Bengal. <laughs> it was just the it was all the smartest motherfuckers of the day coming together and trying to make sense of all this 
trying to make sense of all of this, basically. Which I say, all the fucking, let's say the enlightened minds of our age get together and figure out what the fuck we're doing here. Everyone's saying different things, but how about we bring all those perspectives and minds together and create a bigger picture, or not bigger picture, but try to get, try to see how big the picture is. Alright. Perhaps facilitated by Islamic precedents, Bengal Sufism adapted to itself the basic template, basic template of the yogic body as formulated by. Okay. The in Bengali sir, in the Bengali sir Nama, we are told that Allah's entire creation of eighteenth of eighteen cosmological spheres is present within the body within which we may obtain, according to the Talib Nama, the fruits of visiting Mecca and Medina. It is within the body that one must wage holy war against Iblis and his minions, a Sufi conception of jihad, enriched through the addition of yogic categories such as the Sadripu, six enemies of lust, and so forth. The body itself is likened to a province or city under the rule of the soul as king with the various administrators of Indo-Islamic polity under his jurisdiction. The Akal, A-Q-L, intelligence Bengali Akal, is the vizier or prime minister, Ujir, Correct discrimination is the Kadi or judge, Kaji, and the body's hair, the masses of subjects, Ruaya, Bengali, Rayat, all the transactions of whom are recorded in the Daftar, Bengali, Daptar, Daptar, or account book of the heart. Are you fucking, are you hearing this shit? <laughs> Are you fucking hearing this? Okay. They're talking about a jihad inside our own bodies. Of our enemies. Our six enemies of lust and so forth. This sounds just like in Catholicism, the seven vices. The body itself is likened to a province or city under the rule of the soul as king. What the fuck, man? When the fuck have you ever heard this part? In in with the various administrators of Indo-Islamic polity under its jurisdiction. It's fucking crazy, man. This is literally setting up your body as this sounds like this sounds like fucking shamanism, dude. This sounds more Genghis Khan. But it's like it's like a beautiful blend of all these things man <laughs> filling the coffers of the royal treasury is the body's stock of seminal fluid the expenditure of which spells the kingdom's ruin this is this sounds just this is all this yogic like the the whole um Right now, the nofap thing going on and the whole, you know, um, seminal retention. This is all this shit right here, man. <sighs> There's nothing new under the sun. What goes around comes around. It's all energy being fucking recycled, man. We're just new bodies. It gets to play these out in, man. The sun and moon, or rather four moons... Circulate through the human organism, in which are also present the planets, the twelve signs of the solar zodiac, and seven days of the week. <laughs> Fuck me, man. <laughs> Jesus's story, the gospel, is taking place inside your body, because Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. 
Bengal's plentiful rivers and canals for their part find biological correspondence in the body's nadis conceived of as carriers of blood, semen, and the vital airs. Also present in the body are the seven oceans of Indian cosmography in the form of the bodily fluids. Muslim authors in Bengal faced a range of options in negotiating the Islamization of Tantric Yoga and adopted multiple and sometimes inconsistent approaches. Some early Bengali Sufi texts retain a a substratum of Natha practice little affected by Islamization and articulated in largely indigenous vocabulary. Um, especially when the subject matter has minimal theological implications. Often Islamic categories are translated into equivalent Bengali or Sanskrit terminology. Use of Persian or Arabic technical vocabulary for yoga concepts is common as well reflecting the dynamic processes by which equivalence was sought fuck me man finally building upon equivalences and the transformational possibilities of translation we find articulation of entirely exogenous Islamic conceptions and practices. Individual authors approach this range of possibilities differently. Some who were evidently learned in the Islamic sciences, such as uh, Mir Muhammad Safi, Safi and Haji Muhammad, make pronounced efforts to systematize tantric yoga within the framework of Indo-Persian Sufi doctrines and technical terminology. The doctrinal positions of these authors exhibit little accommodation of indigenous sources. At the other extreme, we may situate the narrative literature on Natha themes performed and evidently also partly composed within Muslim communities a literature that evidences few traces of Islamization. More typical, perhaps, is the middle ground of Sufi practice manuals such as Yoga Calendar, Kalandar, and Abdul Hakim's so-called uh, Kari Mokamer Beda. In these two cases, we find serious attempts at framing yoga within an Islamic view of the sacred alongside the expression of clearly heretical doctrines including the characteristic Natha pursuit of bodily immortality. Conspicuously, conspicuously absent in this literature moreover is a consistent emphasis upon Sufi theologies of divine love. Despite these differences, Bengali Sufi texts, I never even knew this. I never knew Bengali Sufi was a thing. <laughs> Fucking it. Bengali Sufi texts share an almost invariable concern with yogic practices and moreover make the yogic body a primary locus of Islamization. At the center of early Islamic reconceptualizations of the esoteric body in Bengal lies a homology between chakras, the plexuses, okay, I guess that's chakras, the plexuses of the tantric subtle anatomy and makams, Bengali mokam, the stations of Islamic mysticism generally conceived of as stages marking the progressive passage of the wayfarer 
along the Sufi path, Tarika. Bengali Sufis shared a conception of maqams as a bodily series of four stations correlating to four cosmological spheres, Alam, and framed the yogic mastery of this ascending series as the soul's ascension through the cosmological levels. Using sacred geometry um, and music. It's just visually, if you just, it's all music. Okay. This correspondence of chakras with makams and cosmological spheres is in turn cons consistently extended to a second Islamic taxonomical set, that of abodes, manzil, Bengali manjil. This is a taxonomy that comprehends a hierarchy of interwoven dimensions of Sufi, Sufi spiritual life, Sharia, Islamic, Orthopraxis, Tariqa, the path of Sufi discipline, Hakika, the experience of truth or reality, and Marifa, ultimate gnosis. You hear this shit? Gnosis in Islam. Ma Rifa, ultimate gnosis. Hakika, the experience of truth or reality. This homology of the chakras with Sufi maqams and the stages of the religious path seamlessly integrates Islamic orthopraxy within the framework of Islamic yoga and relegates it, as in many forms of Sufism, to a low but fun foundational station. Sufi conceptions of the maqams lack uniformity and the unusual series adopted in Bengal consists of Nasut, Malakut, Jabarut, and Lahut. Classical Sufism does not employ these terms to describe maqams but reserves them rather for the domain of cosmology as signifiers for alams, worlds or spheres of existence the spheres of Jabarut, ruling power, and Malakut, sovereign, sovereignty, the angelic realm, stand in opposition to the Alam al-Mulk, a Quranic term connoting, connoting the here below, the world of kingship. Transcending all these is Lahut, the incommunicable world of the divine essence, the world of absolute divine transcendence beyond the spheres of existence. Even here they talk about sphere, the, 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 the musical spheres, the sphere, the music of the spheres. It's all, it's all talk about the same thing, man. When it comes to mysticism, shamanism, it's all talk and, and, and um, Nikola Tesla, it all comes to vibrations, man. Energy. Music. Alright, um, the pair Lahut Nasut appears in the writings of Al Halaj, where it signifies the duality between divinity and humanity. These terms came to be important cosmological categories in the work of Ibn Arabi and play a significant role in Illuminationist Illuminationist Ishraqiya Theosophy as a sequence of four however they find place most conspicuously in Persian Shia cosmology as the ascending planes of the universe Whatever their sources for Sufi doctrine may have been, and some possibilities will be discussed sub subsequently, the agents involved in the framing of an Islamic yoga in Bengal developed their translation strategies from, from among a wide range of options, and in doing so arrive at a systemize systemization distinct from what we know of other Islamized yoga systems. What they achieve is, for example, conceptually different from what the redactors of the Arabic translation of the Am Amr Takunda do. 
The latter adopt a system of seven planets as the organizing metaphor for the yogic body in which the ascent of the kundalini through seven chakras is cast as a journey through the planetary spheres, an important theme in Neoplatonic mysticism. Look at this shit. They talk about all this in... Bengali Sufis, for their part, articulate a holistic system integrating elements of Islamic orthopraxis, Sufi discipline, stages of spiritual progress, and cosmological spheres, sets of correspondences that they further extend through linkage to the taxonomical sets of the tantric chakras, controlling deities. What? Controlling deities? Elements, colors, shapes, seasons, sounds, and spiritual experiences. In establishing these sets of correspondences, taxonomic shifts ensue. The four elements of Greco-Islamic philosophy, for instance, replace the five elements of Indian philosophy and the pantheon of Hindu deities present as lords of the chakras gives way to a series of archangels, governors of the cosmological spheres, What? Israel, Ajrael in Bengali, Israfil, Mikhail, and Jibril. These angels combine in their beings the functions of both tantric deities and their mounts, Vahanas, by themselves manifesting in the form of animals. Tiger, snake, elephant, and peacock, respectively. What the fuck? What? Israel. Edgerail in Bengali. I never heard of this shit. What? Israel. I-S-R-A-I-L. Ajrail in Bengali. A-J-R-A-I-L. Alright, man. I need to look more into this whole... Because... I need to look into this whole thing with... Fucking A, man. What is going... Okay. And they're manifesting in the form of animals. Tiger, snake, elephant, and peacock, respectively. All these fucking Indian gods sitting on tigers. Shamans. Elephant. Elephants, snakes, it's, it's all shamans. Even the Korean god pictures on tigers and shit. Shamans. Homologizing or establishing equivalence between the conceptual categories of Natha Yoga and Sufism lays a foundation that enables shifts more substantial than substitution. In tantric sequences of Chakras. It's interesting because it's spelled C A K R A S. Chakras. The hierarchy of plexuses along the spinal column culminates in the plexus at the crest of the cranium or even beyond the body as locus of the supreme divinity. I'm telling you. I saw this video of this kid riding, you know those, uh, fucking, I don't know what those called. There's two wheels, you stand on them, and you balance it, and they move forward or backwards. I'm totally blanking on the name, but I saw a kid riding that thing, but on his, like, he was, he was, he was riding it on his chest, like he was on the floor riding it, and you could see his spine move when he was like moving, turning around the corner and stuff. And you could see his spine moving. And it's like, yeah, if you think about it, that's all we are, the spine. Every living thing, all it is is just the spine. From the fucking sperm, cell, egg, from the sorry, from the single sperm 
to the spine, to a snake. It's it's all the same. We're all worms, basically. It's, it's just straight on the spine. Consciousness going up and down on the spine. That's all it is. Alright. Um... While practice systems of tantric yoga sometimes place considerable emphasis on the heart, the chakras are nonetheless considered to constitute a vertical and hierarchical progression. In Yoga Kalandar and similar texts of Bengali Islamic yoga, See, this is what I'm saying. Just that term right there. Bengali Islamic Yoga. I never even heard this shit before. We find, however, both a shift from the head to the heart. Mm -hmm. And a disruption of the vertically of the chakral makam hierarchy. The cross is the spine meeting point of the heart is the cross the center point of the human it's your fucking heart <laughs> your heart your heart is the prism the the vortex the well spring of life <laughs> when you go to sleep that's what happens you go through your heart into the other realm into the spirit world if you want to look at it that way. <laughs> you, when I say you, it just means your consciousness, whatever you are, that, that, that ball of energy. Your soul, whatever you want to call it. Alright. Um, the Nasut Makam is equated with the tantric Muladhara Chakra at the base of the spine and is the locus of an oven, Tihara. The fire therein animates the body and stoked through yoga is capable of affecting immortality. Yeah, the 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 holy grail is a uh, <laughs> it could be a lot of things. It could be a mushroom or it could be a dick or it could be a snake. It's it could be a lot of things, but the but the idea is rebirth, eternal life, immortality. Because this body is, this body is just that is just an avatar. The energy inside us, the soul, the whatever, that's the eternal part. This body will 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 go through a bunch of different bodies. Well, we'll see. I don't know if. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> the fire therein animates the body and stoked through yoga is capable of affecting immortality. Above this is the navel region is situated the Malakut Makam, the angelic sphere presided over by Israfil and equated with the Manipura chakra of yoga. The vertical sequence is then disrupted by disrupted by identifying the Jabarut Makam with the Amra Takunda, situated in the head near the base of the palate, Talu Mula. Talu Mula. While Lahut, the supreme station, is located lower in the yogic body at the heart and equated with the Anahata Chakra. Hence, despite its ritual importance as the source of the nectar of immortality, Am Amrita, 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 a seat of the soul, Atma, as well as the makam in which one may obtain a vision of the prophet of light, Nur-e-Muhammad, Bengali Sufis considered the Amrtakunda a lower biocosmological level than the station of the heart. Did you hear that word? I never <laughs> biocosmological <laughs> what biocosmological level than the situation. <sighs> These motherfuckers were basically Doctor Strange in the 
energetic level, man. Shit. <laughs> Bengali Sufi is considered the Amar Takunda, a lower biological... Okay, yeah, I read that. This was certainly dictated in part by the Sufi emphasis on the heart as locus of the presence of Allah. I agree. I agree. The heart... I'm saying the heartbeat is what we call Allah. Vibration. That's the same frequency, heartbeat as the vibration of God. Allah, whatever you want to call it. Al-Halaj, for example, speaks of God as he who flows between the pericardium and the heart. While Al-Ghazali and others cultivated the metaphor of the spiritual heart as a mirror for the reflection of the divine. I agree. It's a portal. I think it's a mirror. For Al-Ghazali, the heart possesses a window into the Malakut, the unseen spiritual world. Mm -hmm. What did Jesus say? I knock at the door of the heart. If you open it, I will come in and eat with you. Um... The Dhikr of the Heart, D-H-I-K-R, Dhikr, of the Heart, is regarded as superior to the Dhikr of the Tongue. And Dhikr itself is sometimes spoken of as having the purpose of polishing the mirror of the Heart. In the yogic heart of Bengali Islamic yoga, described as the mirror of God, we find a complex layering. Let me read that. Okay, another thing which is interesting: um, cerebral, cerebral, cerebral. Okay, cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, <laughs> and seawater is almost identical they say the, the chemical makeup of it which i think is interesting interesting because they say man is the measure of the universe salt electricity plasma the earth is alive i think okay is a living organism okay um uh, let's see. Okay, in the yogic heart of Bengali Islamic yoga, described as the mirror of God, we find a complex layering forming the setting of the makam are the lotus of a thousand petals, signaling in tantric physiology the locus of the supreme reality and the throne of the Lord, referred to by the Sanskrit simhasana. Or by the Arabic terms. Or by Arabic terms. Simhasana. The thousand petal locus. The supreme. The locus of the supreme reality. The throne of the Lord. Simhasa. Is the heart. Is the heart. Who sits on the throne of your heart. It is significant to note how seamlessly the throne a Quranic concept, example 2255, the throne verse, fits into the tantric inner landscape, filling a function analogous to the seat or to the seat or throne, asana, simhasana, visualized as part of the complex locus of the deity in Antaryaga, inner worship. As practice, for example, in Bengal's contemporaneous Sakta tradition. What shifts is the enneaconic presence of God. On the level of form, Jibril the angel presides as the guardian divinity of the heart station in the guise of a peacock. Okay, now I see all the Okay, so now I get it. Okay, these animals are markers of your spiritual progress, where you're at. I see. Also present, purely Islamic insertions into the internal landscape uh, 
are the animal soul. Al-Ru al-Hewani and its eager instructor, Iblis, whom we must, as Yoga Kalandar informs us, expel from the heart to have a vision of the Lord. Hmm. As the locus of union between the individual soul and the supreme soul, the heart is compared to a glass jar or a, or a crystal lantern in which the soul and the blemish and the blemishless lord mingle like milk into milk or light with light combining non-islamic and quranic imagery respectively hmm. the heart is compared to a glass jar or a crystal lantern in which the soul and the blemish less lord mingle hmm. here we seem quite far from the moderate sufi cuts <sighs> sorry here we seem quite far from the moderate sufi conception of tawhid unity as the egoless experience of the existence of god alone Rather, more in line with non-dualist Natha doctrine, the imagery suggests that what in Orthodox Islam would be considered heretical, itihad, or ontological union. Itihad. Okay. Though the conception of the series of four maqams outlined above is common in the Natha-influenced Sufi yoga literature of the 16th and 17th centuries, the texts nonetheless attest to complex processes of system formation in flux. Diversity in particular evident in meditation practices, sadhana or, and mantra. In sadhana, emphasis lies predominantly upon yogic practices for control of vital airs, stimulation of the internal fire, and inner consumption, inner consumption of the nectar of immortality all of which are embedded within visualization of the Sufi master, Murshid, angelic presences, and the Nur-e-Muhammad. Sufi light imagery pervades the visualizations, yet we find considerable variation considering concerning the divine lights present within the subtle body and diverse modes of reconciling the presence of the excuse me of the nur e muhammad with the bodily sun moon and the nectar of immortality present in the amrata kunda as far as mantra is concerned despite sporadic references to om and to the ajapa or hamsa of yoga, it seems that Sufi Diker formula, formulas largely replace Sanskrit mantras. Modes of applying Diker for the mastery of the subtle body vary, however, and the textual sources leave much unstated. The makams themselves contain plentiful minor variations, seasonal and color associations differ for instance, and as does the sequence of presentation. A more substantive variation occur occurs in the manual composed by Abdul Hakim, wherein the tax taxonomical associations of the Nasut and Lahut Makams seem inverted. Here, however, I, I suspect textual corruption. Perhaps most significant in this text is its reference to a fifth secret maqam termed Hahut, in which one apparently cultivates pure formlessness. Yeah, it sounds like the Tibetan rainbow body um, monks. Um, invoking secrecy, Hakim says nothing more concerning this. Yet another text, Sir Nama of Kaji Seka Mansur 
refers not only to Hahut but to an additional Makam Kahut. To learn of these two, he informs us one must seek oral instructions from a peer, P-I-R. Individual Bengali Sufi masters, though sharing a common conception of the yogic body, also apparently engaged in processes of continual innovation and competitive extension, offering to the initiated secrets transcending those of past and rival pairs. This state of flux is in early Islamic yoga appears over time to have proceeded not in the direction of greater systemization but rather toward greater diversity with the profusion of esoteric cults in the colonial and modern periods. While it is beyond the scope of this essay to trace the evolution of the Makam Chakra confluence in later Bengal, it is significant that the homology has remained intact most notably for the Baus, one for several Bengali sects that draws followers from both Muslim and non-Islamic communities. In their case, Rahul Peter Das has shown there to exist an almost bewildering range of conceptualizations of the esoteric body and its chakras or makams. Existing models of pre-modern Bengali religion and Islamization have not adequately addressed the case of Sufi yoga. Asim Roy invoking religious syncretism as the primary lens for understanding Islam in medieval Bengal posits Bengali Sufi literature as the work of a class of elite Muslims who primar- whose primary agen- agenda was to meditate classical Sufic ideas through local symbols to the masses of Muslim converts, masses dominated by an instinctive search for divinity, religiosity, and godliness in the supernatural and the fantastic. In this elite masses model of Islamic mediation, where local symbolism was found inadequate, unqualified use of indigenous materials occurred or else the concepts of tantric yoga simply influenced the minds of these muslim writers roy's pioneering work in muslim bengali literature hence frames a model for bengali sufism that reduces islamic adaptations of tantric yoga either to strategies for mediating Islam to credulous peasants or to inadvertent seepage from the indigenous religious environment into the minds of Muslims. Other interpreters have questioned the usefulness of the category of syncretism for explaining religious culture in pre-modern Bengal as it seems predicated upon the notion of immutable religious essences and bounded communities as as richard eaton frames the matter instead of visualizing two separate and self-contained special groups hindus and muslims participating in rites in which each stepped beyond its natural communal boundaries one may see one may see instead a single undifferentiated mass of of bengali villagers who in their ongoing struggle with life's usual tribulations, unsystematically picked and chose from an array of reputed instruments, a holy man, a holy river there, a holy man here, a holy river there, in order to tap superhuman power. In a somewhat similar vein, Tony Stewart describes pragmatic power as an emic concern that divides that defies our anachronistic interest in religious identity. Addressing the cult of Satya Pir, he demonstrates how locally significant and pragmatic concerns could be mediated through multiple constructions of religious authority within a shared world. As an alternative framework, Eaton, de- Eaton develops his observations on Islam- Islamite Islamicate religious phenomena into an analysis of the process 
of Islamization. Alright, I'm just gonna. This, this part is. I don't care about what other people think about shit. Just give me the information, man. Where are we at? 105? Alright, fuck it. Um. I guess I could leave with. The Indian Anthem Written by Rabindranath Tagore In Apparently Sanskrit Well apparently it was first written in Bengali And then he uh, Let me see National anthem of India is entitled Chanaganamana. The song was originally composed in Bengali by India's first noble laureate Rabindranath Tagore on December 11, 1911. The parents' song Bharato Bhagyo Pidata is a Brahmo hymn which has five verses and only the first verse has been adopted as national national anthem. Alright, now let me give you the English uh, translation. Uh, the English translation goes as follows. Thou art the ruler of the minds of all people, dispenser of India's destiny. The name rouses the hearts of Punjab, Sindh, Gujarat, and Maratha, Maratha of the Dravid and Orissa and Bengal. It echoes in the hills of the Vindhyas and Himalayas, mingles in the music of the Yamuna and Ganga, and is chanted by the waves of the Indian Sea. They pray for thy blessings and sing thy praise. The salvation of all people is in thy hand. Thou Dispenser of India's destiny. Victory, victory, victory to thee. <laughs> um, the song was first sung on the day two of the annual session of the Indian National Congress in Calcutta on December 27th, 1911. Song was performed by Sarala Devi Choudhurani, Tagore's niece, along with a group of school students in front of prominent Congress members like blah 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 blah. It's interesting because in the uh, Sanskrit version, uh, for verse, for this line where it says, of the Dravid and Orissa and Bengal, it goes Dravida Utkala Banga Banga Bangala Vanga. I'm gonna look more into that because there's something to that, but anyways, I'm gonna leave that one at that one. Peace. <laughs>